If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What is the Bible about? I want you to think about that for just a second. Do you find that to be a difficult question to answer or an easy one? Now, obviously, the Bible is a big book. It's actually a library, really, a collection of 66 books. And there are a lot of things in it, a lot of ideas, a lot of teaching, a lot of story. But I think that it can be summarized. In fact, I think it could theoretically be summarized in a couple different ways. This morning, I want to focus on one particular summary of what the Bible is about, one that you find all over the pages of Scripture. You find it in the creation narrative, in the stories about Israel and Judah, in Jesus' life and teaching, in the stories and the epistles of the early church. Two themes, really, that the biblical writers return to over and over, themes brought out very nicely in this passage that we have before us this morning, Jesus' discussion of prayer from Luke chapter 11. So that's what I want to do this morning, show you how this small story from Luke 11 illustrates the big story, this one summary of what the Bible is all about, and how it is good news for sinners. So here's our summary for today. The Bible is about what humans are like, and it is about what God is like. And I'll add one sentence in there. In telling us what God is like, the Bible is about the solution to what humans are like. Another way to say this is that the Bible is about two kinds of news. Bad news, humans have a problem. And good news, God has an answer. So in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, which we still say every single day to this day. Well, maybe you don't say it every single day, but I say it three times a night with my kids. And once again on Sundays, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know this prayer well. But after teaching the disciples the prayer... Jesus' lesson isn't actually over. You see, he's going to take this opportunity to tell the disciples the basic and elemental story of their and our whole lives. He's going to tell them something about them, and he's going to tell them something about God. He's going to describe their problem and then announce God's solution. Imagine, he says, a guy who has gone to bed for the night. Let's say he's been traveling for more than 24 hours, perhaps trying to get home from a certain Mediterranean country. Let's even say he had to wake up at 3.15 a.m. to get his shuttle to the airport, that some flights were delayed, and that on the big one, the 11-hour one, the TV screens on the plane weren't working. 
Let's just say. And of course, his legs are really long, so he's really uncomfortable the whole time, just hypothetically. But now he's finally back in his own bed. He's stretched out. He's locked the door, turned off all the lights, put his air conditioning on high, pulled the sheets up to his neck, and he's out. And then, right then, just as he's achieved utter comfort, imagine that a knock comes at the door. It's a neighbor, his friend, asking for a favor. This guy's got someone over and he doesn't have enough food to offer them. He hasn't planned ahead. He's unprepared. And he wants our guy, finally ensconced for the night, to get up and help him out. It's not going to happen, is it? Sorry, the guy says. Everything is squared away here. I'm in for the night. But Jesus says that if the neighbor who needs help knocks loudly and insistently enough, our theoretical exhausted traveler will eventually get up to help him, even if only to make him go away. What's going on in this story? This is a fascinating one. How should we interpret this story? Because remember, it's in the context of prayer. Is Jesus saying that if you don't get an answer to your prayers, it's because God is too comfortable to bother himself and that you should pray persistently? Because if you're annoying enough, God will rouse himself and help you out. Is that really what God is like? Well, no, although I've actually heard that sermon about persistent prayer. It's just not what the proper interpretation of Jesus' story here is. We are certainly called to pray and to pray fervently, indeed, to pray without ceasing. But this story is not about how to get God to respond to your prayers. In fact, Jesus isn't talking here, at least not yet, about God at all. This story isn't about what God is like. This story is about what people are like, what you are like. You see, I think we get so used to Jesus telling these stories, these parables, in the context of describing God, that it can be hard to reorient our brains when he's doing something else. I think what happens is that we subconsciously supply the common formulation, the kingdom of heaven is like, even when Jesus doesn't actually say it. And Jesus does not say that here. So we must reshape our interpretation. Jesus is not describing the kingdom of heaven. And of course, in this case, we also get an additional advantage. In this case, Jesus actually gives us the proper interpretation. He tells us what this parable means. That's a good rule to follow, just by the way. Always allow Jesus, when he takes the opportunity, to interpret his own parables first before trying to figure out something on your own. Now, here's what he says about this story. So I say to you, having told you this story... Ask, and it will be given. Search, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you 
Who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And there you have a description, not only of what this parable means, but about the whole story the whole Bible, what this whole thing is about, what we are like, what God is like, what our problem is, and how God is going to fix it. First, Jesus talks about us. If you then, he says, who are evil, let's not read over that part, know how to give good gifts to your children, And so on. People, you, Jesus boldly claims, are evil. That's the interpretation of the parable of the two neighbors and the locked door. It's about you and your evil. That's why you wouldn't get out of bed to help a neighbor in need. You're not tired, you're wicked. Now, when I told the story a second ago, I made it a worst-case scenario, my exhausting journey home from Crete last week. But think for a second about all the times that you're the man tucked away in his house, and the scenario is anything but worst-case. The friend who calls and needs to talk just when you're on your way out the door to a nice dinner. The child who wants to go to the bathroom in the middle of the ninth inning. The spouse whose family is still having that problem that you really think they need to just get over. Or just the needy person in your life who is needy in the same way that they have always been needy. In response to those people, don't we often lock our doors? This is us sidetracked by sinful self-obsession and unwilling to give of ourselves to somebody in need. Don't we always calculate the impact that it's going to have on us? This is why we say things like, ordinarily I would, but, or any other time, or I'm really in a hurry, but what we mean is, I don't want to. Or we do lend a hand. We do offer of ourselves, but we do it to score points or to look good or to just get rid of the person who's pestering us. We do it, but we still don't want to. This is human nature. And this is Jesus's point in telling this story. He is sharing bad news. He's telling us what we are like. The disciples, you, me, all of us humans, we are, in Jesus' word, evil. Fundamentally selfish, curved in upon ourselves. Concerned for ourselves, not for others. Violators of the second great commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is a stinging but accurate diagnosis. Thank God that Jesus isn't done. This is only the first part of his message. 
Because now that he has told us what we are like, what you are like, the bad news, he's got good news. Now he's going to tell us what God is like. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead? Or if they want an egg, will give them a scorpion? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is God like? He is not like us. Thank heavens. If we who are evil, who need to be hounded into doing even basic good things for those around us, if even we won't give our children snakes and scorpions instead of fish and eggs, how much better a gift giver is God? If we, who so often can't even do a favor for a friend, know how to give good gifts, imagine the surpassing splendor of the gifts that God gives. Jesus tells this story of two friends and a locked door to draw attention to the kind of gift giver that God is. And this is Jesus' second point. Good news for evil people like us. God is an awesome gift giver. And I mean that in the literal sense. God's gift giving inspires and should inspire awe in us. And God is an awesome gift giver in two ways, both of which Jesus draws our attention to in this little story. First, God is an awesome gift giver in terms of availability. And second, he's an awesome gift giver in terms of quality. You see, the whole problem with this friend who has locked the door and turned off the lights is that he has made himself unavailable. He's closed up for the night. It's inconvenient for him to help. But God is not like us. God is more like Thornton's, open 24-7. There is no inconvenient time. He's promised in Christ to be with us always. When we cry out in need, he is there, right there, available to you every time. But that's not really our worry, is it? We're afraid, not so much that the Lord won't be attentive to us because he's busy. We worry that he won't be attentive to us because we don't deserve his attention. That's our concern. And that is where God's availability becomes really good news. Because he is especially available and attentive to sinners. For while we were still weak, St. Paul wrote to the Romans... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And the result of Christ's death, we get a gift. And what a gift. St. Paul writes about it in his letter to the Colossians, which we read from this morning. God made you alive together with him. You were dead and God made you alive. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. This is what God is like. He is, as our prayer of humble access puts it, a God whose character is always to have mercy. That prayer, the prayer of humble access that we say immediately before we come to the communion table each week. That prayer really succinctly states these two great truths that Jesus is illustrating with this story and its interpretation. First, that we are great sinners. And second, that God is awesomely merciful. Listen, we do not presume, we pray, To come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. We are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are, as Jesus so crushingly points out, evil. That's who we are. We keep our doors locked up tight. But you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. That's who God is. Always merciful. And what a mercy it is. God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. This is God's gift to you. He deals with your sin directly. He doesn't ignore your wickedness. He bears it in Jesus. He doesn't look away from your sins. He forgives them. His gift to you is his own son to pay for your sins and to make you alive together with God. He's not only an awesome gift giver because he's available to evildoers. He is an awesome gift giver because of the quality of his gift the life and righteousness of his own son, Jesus Christ, your Savior. This is the gift that is available to you 24-7. It makes the gifts that we give pale utterly by comparison. We give reluctantly. God gives overflowingly. We give after being hounded. God gives without even being asked. Indeed, he gives the gift of life to those who are dead 
in trespasses and sins. We give to the people we think deserve it. God gives to the undeserving. We give when we think there might be something in it for us. God gives the life of his most beloved son. God made you alive together with him when he forgave you all your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against you with its legal demands. He set that aside, nailing it to the cross. So receive this gift now, either for the very first time or once again afresh. You are a great sinner. That's who you are. But you have a greater Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who God is. He is an awesome gift giver. And he offers this gift, the life and righteousness of his son, your Savior Jesus, to the whole world, to the sinner, to you. Amen.